1: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A brutal kangaroo hops out of Vault 7. Don't let it poke your device with a thumb drive. Big data leaks wind up being traded in the black market. The dangers of careless configuration of an S3 bucket? Ransomware remains pricey. It can also serve as misdirection. Software companies receive and respond to code audit requirements as a condition of doing business in Russia. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June twenty 2017. Don't put that in your mouth. You don't know where it's been. I remember my mom telling me that. You know what? Those are words to live by. And I did. Well, I usually did. Well, let's update that and you'll see why in a moment. Don't put that in your USB port. You don't know where it's been. In its now familiar Friday ritual, WikiLeaks dumped another set of documents from its Vault 7. These purport to be a toolkit the US CIA assembled to use against air-gapped systems. Air-gapped sounds deeply sinister, almost telepathic. And there have been demonstration hacks of air-gapped systems that used, if not paranormal, at least clever and surprising approaches to their targets. But the reality here is more mundane. The tool described in the leak used USB drives to get into its targets. So effective, but essentially a technique that depends upon the human weaknesses of curiosity and misplaced trust that have haunted us since snakes were suggesting fruit selections to our foremothers or since Pandora decided to take a peek. Still, a timely reminder, don't stick thumb drives into your devices unless you know where they've been. And look, know where they've been doesn't mean, hey, I just got this from Cozy Bear. It means you know it's safe. We mention Cozy Bear because we like animals and animal-themed names. Around here, BYOD generally means bring your own dog, but the toolkit is alleged to be an American and not a Russian caper. Yet it too has a totem animal, Brutal Kangaroo. Why? Why? Well, who knows? But then kangaroos do box, so maybe this one is like the Max bear of marsupials. A very large database of some 800 million email credentials offered for sale in dark web markets since October has been traced to Russian criminals. It's not only for sale, but it's on sale. The Times says it can be had for as little as two pounds. Many British accounts are on the block. Postmortems of the Deep Root Analytics voter data exposure see poor configuration of an Amazon S3 bucket as a sufficient explanation of the incident. The data was collected under Deep Root's contract with the U.S. Republican National Committee. After vanishing for a time, Lockheed ransomware is back. This general kind of attack continues to exact a financial cost. A South Korean web hosting firm paid the Erebus threat actors around $1 million to recover their data but it can also serve other purposes. The WannaCry Fuhrer, for example, appears to have served as misdirection for a data theft campaign. Gamers unable to reach their Final Fantasy online platform should know that it's not you, it's them, and them means some unknown third party who's been subjecting Final Fantasy to a distributed denial-of-service attack. Reuters reports that U.S. firms are complying with Russian government requirements that they share their source code as a condition of doing business. That's disturbing, but it's also not unexpected or even unusual. China has long sought to exact similar arrangements from companies wishing to do business there. The official reason is always security. The governments want to ensure that code used within their borders doesn't bring security risks in with it. And to some extent, that's no doubt true. There are doubtless other motivations at play. I wish to establish a favorable national trading position with domestic competitive advantage, interest in reverse-engineering foreign products, and so on. But the requirement isn't unprecedented. Americans are skittish these days about most things Russian, and not without reason. Reuters, however, points out the market reasons for compliance. Quote, from their side, companies say they are under pressure to acquiesce to the demands from Russian regulators or risk being shut out of a lucrative market. Quote. The companies also say they've taken steps to minimize the risks associated with exposing their code. Quote, the companies say they only allow Russia to review their source code in secure facilities that prevent code from being copied or altered. End quote. Such audits occur in the U.S. too, albeit in the limited context of defense contracting and other sensitive work. And calls for code audits have been recently woofed from Capitol Hill in the direction of Kaspersky Labs, the Russian security vendor whose products are widely used in the U.S. and elsewhere. Joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the chief security officer at Level 3 Communications. Uh, Dale, welcome back to the show. Um, as we think about WannaCry, and as WannaCry sort of fades a bit into our rearview mirror, you had some thoughts about how we look back on it and what it can tell us about the future.
0: You know, I, I think WannaCry is just a great example of the time for us to use adult attention span to solve global problems. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you know you know what happens is is when when there's a flash of an instant and we all get together we all try to solve the problem we all try to uh, to repair the issue and then the moment that, that that issue dies down we're on to the next problem and and things like wannacry really signal sort of uh, what the what the future holds for us you know the, the the difficult thing about WannaCry is it was a very unsophisticated collection of code. It was, you know, someone who just taken piece parts and and uh, and put together various components of code. There was a lot of a bad code, you know, the the algorithm to determine which Bitcoin wallet it was going to use wasn't working. So it didn't make the bad guys as much money as they had hoped. The algorithm to scan for other victims wasn't working properly. And so it could have spread much deeper than it, than it uh, did. But nothing really stopped that capability from being used by an adversary who wanted to wreak havoc uh, on internet infrastructure and just encrypt the internet as we know it uh, and hold it for ransom. Between that and the fact that things like WannaCry are using protocols like Tor, and we as a security community are not really prepared to be able to track, you know, sort of malware activity through Tor, it's really a time for us to to sort of you know wake up as a community and uh, and get a lot more proactive in stopping those sorts of attacks. I think WannaCry signals two things. I think WannaCry signals uh, to organized crime that if they really want to make a lot of money at using, uh, exploits, there is a significant inventory of, of deep entrenched exploits from the, uh, from the NSA and the CIA releases that are going to allow organized crime to weaponize those and do another global ransomware uh, attack again, that has all of those pieces fixed. It also allows a nation state to decide that if they want to cause havoc in a specific country or the Internet as a whole, that they now have sort of the mechanism and the avenue to do that. Imagine everyone's laptop being encrypted or desktop being encrypted or data center being encrypted with absolutely no mechanism uh, to be able to recover. You know, we, we keep on hearing very, very sophisticated sort of Uh, advice on how to uh, detect and prevent against things like ransomware, things like WannaCry. But it really is just a matter of us getting back to the basics. Not only do we need to collaborate more as as an ecosystem and get proactive and be able to stop these things, we need the attention span to figure out, as bad guys evolve their tools, how we respond to that as a community. And then on ransomware specifically, just really get back to the basics. Don't click on links that uh, that you don't directly trust and back up your data. And I think that if we can uh, sort of address those sort of really sort of fundamental issues that that we're going to be a lot more capable as a community to uh, protect uh, critical data on the Internet.
1: Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Darren Gibbard. He's the chief technical security officer at Qualys, a provider of cloud-based security and compliance solutions. Prior to his position with Qualys, he was the head of Enterprise Risk and Information Security Services for Visa Europe. He joins us today to discuss the GDPR, the EU's General Data Protection Regulation.
2: General Data Protection Regulation has been enforced or enforced since uh, 2016, so last year. The regulation itself has been worked upon by various governing bodies in the EU since 1998. Each of the regions within or the countries within the European Union have had their own data protection regulation and have been working on that in the the case of the UK since 2002 and have had the General Data Protection Act since then but the EU has been working on it and working with basically the various different governing bodies within the eu in Germany in the UK in Ireland in France and all the various regions and has been working on that since 2002 and been get, amalgamating and getting the regulation together uh, where, since it came into uh, mandatory requirements since 2016. So organizations are preparing and they are preparing for uh, the regulation and have been working very, very hard in the last 12 months. And in in a lot of cases, a lot longer than that, have been working uh, on and with the, their regional uh, regulators, basically on the, on the regulation for uh, probably two to three years on average within uh, – European organizations preparing themselves. And there's a number of steps that need to be taken by organizations to basically make sure and ensure that they become compliant with the regulation. And a lot of it is around basic security good practices. So practices that organizations should already have in place and should be operating in their sector or their vertical that they operate within.
1: Is there a sense that organizations are going to be ready?
2: If you'd have asked me a year ago, I'd have said no. Um, If you asked me recently when I engaged with CISOs and I talked to CISOs and CIOs in various organizations, uh, yes, they will be. Um, I think there has been a lot of focus in the last 12 months, uh, basically, with all, within the uh, regulatory bodies, within the um, uh, vendor space that has been helping organizations prepare for it. Ninety percent, 95 percent of organizations will be ready to go by the May 25th, 2018.
1: And as far as organizations that are outside of the EU, what is your expectation for how this is going to ex- to affect them?
2: I firmly believe that it will affect them just as much as what it affects the organisations within the EU itself. So um, it's ensuring that EU citizen data is protected wherever it goes across the globe. PwC did a very good uh, article last October in the US where they interviewed over 2,500 organisations within the US and the average spend per organisation was a million dollars on preparing for uh, GDPR and making sure that their organisations were ready and that's across obviously uh, multiple sectors m- multiple um, size organisations so if the US is, is leading by example then um, you know obviously Australia are working well towards it I was down in South Africa basically um, three weeks ago they're preparing for it so If I'm totally honest, I probably think everybody outside of the EU is better prepared for the GDPR than what they are within the EU. Why do you say that? Uh, Just because of the um, understanding of the budgets that are being spent and the preparation that's being put into making sure that the citizens' data is separated um, and is understood and is known and where that data is going and and how it's being used within the organisations that are processing it.
1: So when the May 2018 deadline arrives, how do you see this playing out? Do you, do you suspect that it'll probably be a, a non-event, or will we expect to see some organizations paying hefty fines?
2: I'm hoping it will be a a very quiet event and basically a bit like Y2K and basically it will become a non-event and just um, uh, be everything will carry on as per normal. From my perspective, I think it will be business as usual. So organisations that are already under a regulatory uh, regime will be prepared, will be ready and will be basically be ready to go. Organizations that are not so used to the regulatory regime will have a lot more work to do to get themselves used to the language of the regulation and to understand what the impacts would be to their respective organizations.
1: Do you suspect that there are going to be any unexpected consequences of the new regulations?
2: I think there will be. I think there'll be a positive for cybersecurity, information security and IT security teams. In a lot of cases, with things like uh, privacy by design and privacy impact assessments, security teams have been left out of the project management of future development strategy conversations within respective organisations. And I think this is an opportunity for the security industry to mature and to grow up and to finally have that C-level, C-suite presence Because what the the cyber, the security teams, the CISOs, the CIOs are going to be protecting the organizations and protecting the CEO from breach, from massive regulatory fines. So I think, you know, I've been in this industry for 25 years now. I think it's it's now finally with the um, incoming GDPR. Uh, the regulation i think it's going to actually improve and i think it's going to um, make the cso's role a lot more important within um, organizations the uk information commissioners office has a very good uh 12 steps to take now document that Mm. would be is a good document to refer to and reference for any organization and it, it just highlights what organizations need to be prepared for and what they need to be doing. So I think um, that would be a good reference uh, document to use, you know, basically. It's a, it's a horrible yellow color, but apart from that, it, it's basically <laughs> quite a nice document uh, that gives you um, quite, you know, the uh, the steps to any organization, whether they be a small, you know, small 10-man organization through to 50,000, 60,000 uh, employee organizations or hundreds of thousands of employee organizations Need to take.
1: That's Darren Gibbard from Qualys. And that's The Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.